Well, we're continuing our Bible study through the book of Daniel today. So if you've got your Bible, you can start making your way over to the book of Daniel. Dreams are an interesting topic. Most of us have had dreams that we have woken up from and wish that we could go back to sleep and continue. Oh, that was a great dream. I didn't want to wake up in the middle of that one. And most of us have had dreams that we have woken up from and were genuinely grateful that it was only a dream. Most of us have had dreams so strange that we can't fully describe them to anyone else. And we're glad that you haven't described those dreams to us because sometimes there's nothing more boring than having to listen to someone describe their dream to us. Do our dreams mean anything? Sometimes. Sometimes our dreams are just a reflection of the spicy food that we had for dinner, though. Sometimes our dreams are a reflection of something that we're worrying about. Sometimes our dreams are a reflection of deep longings and hopes that we have. Sometimes the Lord may be communicating something to us in our dreams. And sometimes we haven't got a clue about what inspired a dream, maybe just a real active imagination. We're going to read a story today about a man who had a very disturbing dream, which also had an important meaning attached to it. Last time in Daniel chapter 1, we were introduced to four young Jewish men who had been carried away from their homeland of Judah to the foreign land of the Babylonians, to the capital city of Babylon. And these four young men, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, find themselves there now. They were some of the brightest and best of the former nation of Judah. And because of that, they find themselves selected and entered into King Nebuchadnezzar's special training academy to be educated in all of the ways of Babylon with the intent that they would then serve in the king's administration. Well, shortly after entering this special academy, these four young men, they run into a conflict between their Jewish religious faith and the kind of food that they were being served. The food itself was the very best that Babylon had to offer. It was coming directly from the king's own kitchen. But it included items and was being prepared in ways that violated the dietary laws that the Lord had given to the Jewish people through Moses. Daniel and his three friends resolved, they made up their minds, they purposed in their hearts not to defile themselves no matter what the consequences might be. And the Lord was with them, and he blessed their commitment to obey his word in all things. And the Lord gave them favor with the authorities over them who allowed them to have a different diet which satisfied the requirements of the Jewish law. And so these four young men who had been taken from their homeland and dropped into a totally foreign culture which sought to annihilate everything about their former life Rather than withering away and dying, they flourished as the Lord took care of them. Well, they graduated at the top of their class, and they entered into the king's service. And it looked like a tremendous 
blessing and I mean how much better can it be but it's not all high fives and fist bumps for these guys there's trouble ahead for these four as we see in Daniel chapter 2 so in Daniel chapter 2 beginning in verse 1 it says in the second year of his reign Nebuchadnezzar had dreams his mind was troubled and he could not sleep so the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. So here's the setting for this story that is told in Daniel chapter 2. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the Babylonian empire, had a dream that has deeply troubled him. He didn't know what the dream meant, but he knew it was important. He knew that it had some kind of great significance. So he summons all of the various classes of wise men, philosophers, fortune tellers, spirit world know-it-alls, religious specialists, and so on, at his disposal, and he asks them to explain the meaning of his dream. It says, Then the astrologers answered the king, May the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it. So the experts, they respond to the king, saying, No problem, great king. Tell us what your dream is, and we'll tell you what it means. These men have come from a long tradition of dream interpreters, sign readers, fortune tellers, and various magic arts, secrets that have been passed down from generation to generation, from shaman to shaman, astrologer to astrologer. Interpreting the king's dream would be a piece of cake for these guys. But there's a small catch in the king's request. Verse 5, it says, The king replied to the astrologers, oh, Not so fast. says, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it to me, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. So the king responds saying, I'm not going to tell you what my dream was. You're going to tell me what my dream was, and then you are going to explain the meaning of it. And if you don't, I'm going to have you cut into pieces and have your house turned into a pile of rubble. On the other hand, if you tell me my dream and explain it to me, I'll give you great reward and honor. Well, this is a serious problem, isn't it? Because none of these people have any real supernatural abilities enabling them to see into the hidden realm of the spirit world or to see into the future or into the king's mind. Once more, they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I am certain that you're trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then tell me the dream and I will know that you can interpret it for me. Well, now we get some insight into the reason why the king is not going to tell them what the dream was. He doesn't trust them. He doesn't trust these guys. He has some real doubts about the powers that these magicians and astrologers and mystics are claiming to have. 
He reasons that if they can really interpret the meaning of his dream, then they should be able to tell him also what the dream was. Otherwise, they could easily just make up an interpretation that seems to fit with the dream that he describes to them. See, he's on to their game. We have similar kinds of things going on in our own day. Astrologers, psychics, fortune tellers, palm readers, dream interpreters, and so forth. People who are very skilled at weaving stories to fit with what you tell them using their intuitive sense of things. Nebuchadnezzar is so convinced of the importance of his dream, though, that he's unwilling to risk not having the true meaning of it explained to him. He's willing, in fact, to wipe out his whole cadre of wise men if they're not able to tell him the meaning of the dream. Verse 10, it says, The astrologers answered the king, There's no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. Well, the Babylonians were famous for their astrology, but it can't help them now when the chips are really down. These charlatans are forced to tell the truth about what they really know and what they can really do. They tell the king that what he's asking for is impossible for any human being to do. The king's request is unreasonable. They say only the gods can do what the king is asking for, and the gods don't dwell among us. <laughs> well, it's not good to tell the king that he's being unreasonable. Verse 12, it says, This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. Well, I can hear the head astrologers huddling up for a debrief after their meeting with the king, saying, you know, that didn't go so well, guys. The king, he orders that every astrologer, magician, spirit world know-it-all, philosopher, intellectual, all the wise men, the counselors, the advisors, the assistants, and so forth, be collected for this mass, <clears throat> mass public execution. They're all going to die, every single one of them. In the king's eyes, they're all a bunch of fakes and liars. Well, Daniel and his friends, they're included in this group that are going to be executed. Verse 14, when Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. It says in verse 14 that Daniel speaks to Arioch with wisdom and tact. The Hebrew words there can also be translated into English as prudence and discretion, discernment, wise counsel. We have noted before how Daniel conducts himself, that he's not rude or pushy, he's polite, he's wise, he's tactful, he's humble, he's appropriate, he's discreet and respectful. We see him behaving the same way now 
in this situation. Daniel puts on a clinic for us in chapters 1 and 2 on how to approach and be heard by those in authority over us. Are you struggling with how to be heard by an overbearing boss at work, perhaps? Take a look at how Daniel behaves in these two chapters. Because of the respect Daniel has earned with those over him, he's given an opportunity by the king to interpret his dream. It's important for us to understand that Daniel has been laying the groundwork for this opportunity to speak to the commander of the king's guard and then to the king himself for a long time. He has built up a reputation with these people that are over him through his integrity and his hard work. We can't expect to be listened to when there is an important situation if we haven't not been building a good reputation through the little everyday stuff first. You might remember Jesus, he taught the importance of being faithful with the small things, which earns the opportunity to then be entrusted with larger things. Daniel is an example of that principle working out in a person's life. In our life, it's important that we be faithful in all things, no matter how big or small that they are. I mean, if it's emptying the trash, then empty the trash the right way every time. No shortcutting. Be faithful in all things all the time. It will pay dividends in the future. And this is what we see in Daniel that he has exemplified for us. He's been faithful in the small things, and now when the big thing happens... He's given an opportunity. That wouldn't have happened if he had not been faithful all the way along. It says, Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. (laughs) If I had been one of Daniel's friends... My initial reaction might have been, you, you told the king what? You, you promised him what? Are you nuts? But Daniel's friends, they didn't respond that way. Instead, they all joined together in prayer. It's, it's so good to have friends like this who will go to prayer with you in a time of crisis. Daniel and his three friends are facing a very real life and death situation. The king is going to have them all executed if Daniel is not able to tell the king his dream and its meaning. This is something that only God can do. So that is who they go to, God. And God responds to their cry for help. During that night of praying, the Lord gives Daniel a vision, showing him the dream of King Nebuchadnezzar and telling him its meaning. In verse 19, It says, during the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. 
you have made known to us the dream of the king. It's a, a beautiful hymn of praise and thanksgiving that Daniel offers to the Lord here. Verse 24 says, Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. Arioch seems to be, you know, kind of giving himself a little credit for discovering Daniel. It's all right. The king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? And Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He's shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you were lying in bed are these. As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come, and the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. Daniel is careful not to claim to possess any supernatural power or knowledge of his own. Someone of lesser character could have very easily led the king to believe that he possessed special powers to see into the king's mind and into the future, but that's not who Daniel is. He is a person of tremendous integrity, and he's careful to point all attention to the one who truly has the power to see into the minds of every person and who can tell the future with absolute accuracy, who can build up and bring down kingdoms as he wills, the one and only Lord God, creator of the universe, sovereign over all powers and authorities. There is no mere human being who can do what the king has asked. Only the Lord is able to reveal these kinds of mysteries. Daniel says the Lord has revealed to the king things to come, and the only reason Daniel himself is able to explain the dream to the king is because the Lord wants the king to know the meaning of this dream. So Daniel goes on to describe the dream in the next verses, in verse 31. It says, Your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken into pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. The most intriguing and interesting and important part of this dream is the rock. 
that's not been cut out by human hands that came and struck the great statue in its feet and caused the entire thing to disintegrate and blow away with the wind, leaving no trace. And the rock grew into a great mountain that filled the whole earth. Well, in a nutshell, the statue represents the history of the world through four successive human empires. And then during the final phase of human rule, the kingdom of God will come and establish itself, enduring forever. So in verse 36, it says, this is what the dream, this was the dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the sky. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are the head of gold. So the head of gold is Nebuchadnezzar himself in the Babylonian Empire. There are some key words that we want to make note of here. In verse 37, Daniel says to the king, The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. Everything Nebuchadnezzar has has been given to him by God. He would not be where he is if God had not given him this position, and he will only be in this position as long as God wants him to be there. This is true for all of us, too. Everything we have has been given to us by the Lord. And we are where we are because God has put us there. And we will be where we are as long as the Lord wants us to be there. This is a comfort for us who are believers to know that the Lord is ultimately in control of all things in our life. We are not carrying this burden of life alone. We are not struggling through a random, meaningless soup of events with no hope for our future. Instead, we can know that he has the whole thing in his hands, directing all of it toward his good purpose. And that's a comfort. But there's also a warning for us to remain humble too, isn't there? Remembering that we are receivers of his grace and ultimately accountable to him, just like Nebuchadnezzar was. Well, 39, he says, After you, another kingdom will arise, inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. The chest and the arms of silver refer to the Medo-Persian Empire, which will replace the Babylonian Empire as the world power in reference to Israel. Cyrus the Great will be the leader most associated with the Medo-Persian Empire. And then the belly and thighs of bronze refer to the Greek Empire initially established by Alexander the Great. Now a question that is asked is how are these kingdoms or empires inferior to the Babylonian kingdom or empire. Each of the successive kingdoms are inferior to the ones that preceded it. Well, the general belief among Bible scholars is that the inferiority of the successive kingdoms should be understood in a moral sense rather than in a 
power sense. These kingdoms that follow the Babylonian kingdom are not necessarily inferior in power. Uh, the Roman Empire in particular, the, the Iron Legs, was a kingdom that crushed all others, as it is described here. Instead, the, the message being communicated is that the world will continue to degrade morally. The, the world's kingdoms are not moving toward utopia, but in the opposite direction. The legs of iron refer to the Roman Empire, which crushed all of these other empires before it. And then in verse 41, he says here, Just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom, yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. There are a number of opinions about what specific kingdom or power or group of people the feet and toes of this statue represent, which are made up of a mixture of iron and clay. Uh, a common interpretation is that this represents a final united group of nations which includes parts of what was once the Roman Empire, the Iron Legs. But as Daniel explains here, this group of nations will not possess the same kind of strength and unity that these previous empires had. In fact, they will not remain united any more than iron and clay remain united. Notice the characteristics of this last empire. It says this will be a divided kingdom. This kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle or fragile. And it says the people will be a mixture and will not remain united. We'll talk more about these things when we look at a couple of dreams that Daniel has in later chapters, which will give a bit more detail about this last period of human rule. But in verse 44, it says, In the time of those kings, this final empire that is described as the mixture of iron and clay, toes, it says, In the time of those kings... The God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true and its interpretation is trustworthy. So here, finally, we come to the most important aspect of this dream, really. The rock, uncut by human hands, that strikes the statue and it brings the entire thing to the ground. And then the rock grows into a huge mountain that fills the whole earth. The end of human government is going to come. And it'll be replaced by the government of God, which will last forever. Who is this rock? Well, we know who this rock is. We have the benefit of hindsight. It is Jesus Christ. That's who this rock is. 
The first time Jesus Christ came into the world, he brought a message of peace and reconciliation. The Son of God came extending an olive branch to us. He came riding into Jerusalem on a donkey colt, a symbol of humility and peace. The second time Jesus comes, he'll come to establish his rule on the earth, it tells us. He'll come riding on a white horse, a symbol of power. Isaiah writes in chapter 2 of his book, it says, In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many people will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his way so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many people. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. The coming of the kingdom of God is something to look forward to. All of the stuff in this world that makes it so awful and painful and disappointing is going to be wiped out by the Lord at his coming. And all of the things that our hearts long for so deeply are going to be established by the Lord. He's going to bring peace and life and fairness and unity and goodness Verse 44, I mean 46, Nebuchadnezzar responds this way. It says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel. Prostrate, excuse me, before Daniel. That was a good slip, though, wasn't it? Some of you guys didn't even catch it, did you? You're like, like I'm going, oh, wait a sec. I got all medical on you there for a minute. So then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his three friends, these are their Babylonian names being used here, administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. So Nebuchadnezzar, he knows that Daniel has spoken the truth, and so he honors him and his God, acknowledging that there is no God like the Lord. I want us to remember that Daniel and his three friends, they're probably still teenagers at this point. Imagine that. It doesn't matter how old you are or where you come from. What matters is God's hand on you. We see that working out in Daniel's life here. When closing... Bible scholar Daniel Miller writes about this chapter. He says, what a comforting passage this is. 
In this present world of injustice, wars, and crime, it is reassuring to know that Christ is coming. And when He comes, all of the evils of this age will end. There is indeed coming a day when the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. For Messiah's reign of righteousness will extend to the ends of the earth. When I consider the state of the world in its present day, it is a comfort to know that Jesus Christ is surely coming back to put things right. May the hope of his return fill you with joy this week. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your promise that you're coming back and you will restore, redeem, heal, make things whole again in our world. Lord, we ask you would fill us with your hope and your peace and your joy in the midst of all of the turmoil and craziness that swirls around us in this day that we live. I pray that we would take comfort in your sovereignty, Lord. And we thank you for this reminder of who you are and the promises that you have made and that you keep that we have been given in this chapter of Daniel today. I ask you to bless each one here in Jesus' name. Amen.